morning, everyone. It is good to have you here today. Welcome to Calvary Baptist Church. We are so glad to have you in worship with us this morning. This morning we'll be celebrating a baby dedication for Meryl Herridge and Atlas Farquhar Cadell. I want to say a specific welcome to our visitors this morning and let you know a few items that might interest you uh, during our time together. First, you're going to need a worship folder like one of these to be able to kind of see the structure of the service. You're also going to need one of those hymnals that's in the pew in front of you. Um, some of the songs that we sing will be in those hymnals. I also want to let you know that if you would be interested in one of the staff folks here at Calvary getting in touch with you this week, um, there's a little visitor's card in the back of those pews as well. And if you'll fill that out, you can indicate on there that you'd like someone to be in contact, and we'll be more than happy to do that uh, this week. We hope that this time of worship is engaging and meaningful for you and that you will feel very welcome in this place. Uh, Shel Silverstein once wrote a poem that goes like this. Whosever room this is should be ashamed. His underwear is hanging on the lamp. His raincoat is there in the overstuffed chair, and the chair is becoming quite mucky and damp. His workbook is wedged in the window. His sweater's been thrown on the floor. His scarf and one ski are beneath the TV and his pants have been carelessly hung on the door. His books are all jammed in the closet. His vest has been left in the hall. A lizard named Ed is asleep in his bed, and his smelly old sock is stuck to the wall. Whosever room this is should be ashamed. Donald, Robert, Willie, or, huh? You say it's mine? Oh dear, I knew it looked familiar. Life is messy. Sometimes the mess is out there in the world, and sometimes the mess is our own. We're in our second week of our messy series. Last week, we reflected on Genesis 1 and the reality that God does not shy away from a mess, but rather steps into it and makes out of it something generative and something good. This week, we turn our thoughts toward the idea that God might just be calling us into the mess as well. So God, you who are not afraid of our mess, who see in us not strangers but daughters and sons, who hear our prayers no matter their language, may you be at work in this place, in our lives, in this mess. Grant us the ears to hear your call and the courage to follow wherever it is you might lead us this morning. Amen. Pentecost they gathered quite early in the day. A band of Christ's disciples to worship, sing, and pray. A mighty wind came blowing, filled all the swirling air. And tongues of fire glowing, by his person there. The people all around them were startled and amazed to understand their language. Christ alone they praised. What universal message what great good news was here, that Christ was dead is risen to vanquish all our fear. 
God's Spirit knows no limit, restoring life and power. The church formed and reforming, responds in every different, we speak different languages, and even those of us who speak the same language speak different languages. Our strengths are varied, our views are inconsistent, our lives, our communities, our world, all messy. Yet, in your creativity, you breathed life into dirt. You restored sight with a mud pie, you empowered with fiery tongues, you gave life to the walking dead. It seems you love to love in the mess. Help us to see the beauty of that. We ask that you would reveal yourself to us this morning. Give us open eyes, ears, and hearts. Point us to glimpses of the divine within our messy lives. Show us the harmony of difference, the music and the noise and how you connect us to yourself and to each other, not in spite of a mess, but because in it you see possibility. May you be glorified in the mess. May we have eyes to see it. Amen. Do you feel the world is broken? We do. Feel the shadows deepen. We do. But do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? We do. Do you wish that you could see it all made new? Is all creation groaning? It is. Is a new creation coming? It is. Is the glory of the Lord to be the light within our midst? It is. Is it good that we remind ourselves of this? Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The Lion of Judah, who conquered the grave. He is David, true, and the Lamb who died to ransom the slave. Is he worthy? Is he worthy of all blessing and honor and glory? Is he worthy of this? 
does. He does. Does the Spirit move among us? He does. And does Jesus, our Messiah, hold forever those He loves? He does. Does our God intend to dwell again with us? Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The Lion of Judah, who conquered the grave. He is David's root and the Lamb who died to ransom the slain. Is he worthy? Is he worthy of all blessing and honor and glory? Is he worthy? Is he worthy? Is he worthy? introduce you to two very special little ones and their families today. First, we have Meryl Ruby Herridge. <laughs> Meryl was born on November 8, 2018 to parents Blake and Mallory and brother Maxton. Meryl is named after her paternal grandmother, Merle Herridge, who passed away this March. Meryl has been a woman on a mission from the moment she entered the world, crawling on turbo speed, often straight to the dog food, babbling directives to mommy and daddy, daily attempting to get the perfect grip on her brother's hair, and eating solid foods with intense devotion. Meryl has been a bright light in our family in her short 10-month life. Next, we have Atlas Keating Farquhar Cadell. Atlas was born three weeks early on July 14, 2019, to parents Shannon and Dakota, he has one sister, Huxley, and one brother, Ryko, who love him dearly. Atlas enjoys sleeping in, snuggling with mom, and watching the fans spin round and round. Today, we celebrate the lives of Meryl and Atlas and recognize them as signs of the kingdom of God. We also celebrate the importance of community in the life of a child and parent. Blake and Mallory, Dakota and Shannon, we would also like to present you with a letter for you to read to Meryl and Atlas on the day that they accept Jesus as Savior and choose to follow in Christ's example and baptism. This letter will remind Meryl and Atlas of this day of dedication in which you and their church community made a commitment to come alongside them in their, in their faith journey. This letter will also remind them that they are loved and cherished by you, their parents, by the church, and by God. And so, Dakota and Shannon, Blake and Mallory, we ask you to covenant with us today. In dedicating Atlas and Merrill to God, will you teach them by word and by example to love the Lord with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love their neighbor as themselves? Will you pray for and with Atlas and Merrill and entrust them to God's care? And will you surround them with a community of faith so that Atlas and Merrill may always be nurtured and encouraged in their journeys with Christ? If so, please answer, with God's help, we will. 
Calvary? Will you covenant to be the family of God in this place for and with these parents and their children? Will you support them through your prayer, encouragement, and your faithful presence in their lives? If so, please answer, with God's help, we will. Now we would like to take a moment for you to welcome Atlas and Merrill to the Calvary family. At Calvary, we often bless one another by laying hands and praying for each other. And so today, we would like to do that for the Heritage family and the Farquhar Cadell family. And so we would like to first give immediate family members a chance to come forward now and surround them. And after that, anyone else who would like to come up behind them is welcome to come and voice a prayer as well. Feel free to come forward now, and Jenny will close us in a moment with a blessing.
Gracious God, we thank you for Meryl and her parents, and for Atlas and his parents. We pray that Meryl and Atlas would know your love and your presence with them always. Give them your peace and protect them in times of trouble. Strengthen them and surround them with your love. May they each grow in Christ and live fully into the people you are creating them to be. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. been walking the same old road for miles and miles <clears throat> if you've been hearing the same old voices same old lies if you're trying to feel the same old hole inside there's a better life there's a better life if you've got pain is a pain taker if you feel lost, he's a way maker. If you need freedom or saving, he's a prison shaking savior. If you got chains, he's a chain breaker. We've all served for the light of day in the dead of night. We've all found ourselves worn out from the same old time. We've all run to things we know just ain't right. There's a better life. There's a better life. If you've got pain, he's a pain taker. If you feel lost, he's a way maker. Or saving is a prison shaking savior. If you got chains, he's a chain breaker. If you believe it, if you receive it, if you can feel it, somebody testify. If you believe it. If you receive it, if you can feel it, somebody testify, testify. If you believe it, if you receive it, if you can feel it, somebody testify. If you got pain, he's a pain taker. If you feel lost, he's a way maker. If you need freedom or saving, he's a prison shaking savior. If you got chains, he's a chain breaker. If you need freedom or saving, he's a prison shaking savior. If you got chains, he's a chain breaker. reading from Genesis chapter 11 and Acts chapter 2. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as they migrated from the east, they came upon a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we shall be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which mortals, mortals had built. And the Lord said, Look, they are one people, and they all have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. 
Nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language there, so that they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from the heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues, as of fire, appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each one of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages, as the Spirit gave them ability. This is the word of the Lord.
Now, gracious God, in these moments, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of all of our hearts together in this place be found pleasing to you. O Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, in 1763, a man named Johann Beckmann, who was both an economist and a scientist, started to count the trees that were towering above the forest of Germany. Now, forests were a significant source of wealth in the 18th century, and so Beckman wondered if he might be able to create a system within the forest that could be both ecologically and economically successful for the years to come. But when Beckman began to survey the forest, he discovered that this process was going to be much more complicated than he had realized. There were fallen trees everywhere, messy undergrowths of shrubs and other plants, tangled root systems deep beneath the ground, and a confusing number of species of plants and trees and animals. So in an effort to increase simplicity and to ultimately improve productivity in the forest, he decided he needed to tidy things up a bit. Beckman's idea was to develop a standardized forest with a focus on minimum diversity and maximum yield so that almost every tree would be the same species and the same size. And so foresters took the Norway spruce tree, which grows straight and tall, and planted it in these regimented lines all throughout many of the forests of Germany. Then they went through and they cut down all the dead trees. They dug them away. They cleared out the messy undergrowth beneath them so that they could develop a monoculture with one kind of tree rooted in one kind of soil. And the idea was a success. The first generation of spruces produced significant yields, and the idea of a managed forest was born. Statisticians confidently predicted increasing yields and growth cycles for the next several hundred years, until unexpectedly the second generation of those trees began to regress. Yields went down by almost a quarter, and they weren't sure why. But because trees don't really grow quickly, the continuing decline took more time for scientists to really be able to see and understand. It wasn't until another hundred years later that they discovered what was going on. The German forests were beginning to die, in part because the single-minded focus of Johann Beckmann, which had begun so successfully, was now backfiring. The messiness and the rich diversity of the forest that he had worked so hard to clean up and simplify was actually crucial to the forest's ability to survive. As one geologist shares, merely removing fallen logs and dead trees from a forest would result in the loss of almost a third of the wildlife species in that forest. So the first generation of spruce trees had still been able to benefit from the rich nutrients that the soil in the old forest had to offer. But over time, all the spruce trees began to take over, and the nutrients from such a diverse ecosystem had slowly begun to seep away, leaving second and third generation spruce trees with shallow roots in malnourished soil. Today, in 2019, the situation really isn't much better. I looked it up on Google and immediately saw articles that say Germany's forests are on the verge of collapse, followed by a byline that said more than one million established trees in Germany have died since 2018. Another article shares that due to the catastrophic combination of heat, drought, storms, forest fires, beetle plagues, and a fungi blight, the German forest has lost the equivalent of more than 200,000 football fields this year alone. So they are currently trying to resurrect the forest of Germany by reconstructing the mess and diversity that existed over 200 years ago. 
They are reintroducing dead logs, leaving dead trees standing, and reintegrating all different kinds of species of trees, birds, and insects. As author Tim Harford writes, it is still too early to tell whether this artificially created mess will prove to be successful as a replacement for the original. Yet what is perfectly clear is that the attempt to map, quantify, and tidy up the German forest not only transformed them, but it nearly killed them. We are in the middle of a worship series here at Calvary about learning to meet God in the messy places of our world. Because like the forest of Germany, sometimes there is a hidden value to messiness just beneath the surface that we don't need to miss. Last week we learned that in the beginning when God began to create the heavens and the earth, it was a mess. But Genesis 1 shows us a God who sees chaos and doesn't run away from it. Instead, when God sees a mess, God thinks, huh, I wonder what I could do with that. As we keep reading in Genesis 1, verse 28, we see that God's intention for humankind is to scatter and multiply. From the very beginning, God never wanted us to get too comfortable God never lets us stay in one cozy place for too long. But as we continue to make our way in the book of Genesis, we realize that this is exactly what the people want to do. They say in chapter 11, verse 4, Come, let us build ourselves a city, a tower with its top in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered all upon the face of the whole earth. And so they go directly against God's intentions for them to scatter themselves. Perhaps they're afraid of that. Maybe they think things will get too complicated or confusing if they all scatter about in different places. After all, they don't have cell phones or text messages or FaceTime or any way to stay connected. And so it really would be much simpler much safer, and perhaps even strategic for them to stay in one place and work together all as one people with one language. So that's exactly what they do. They begin to build themselves a tower. As Professor Joe Bailey Wells writes, the Tower of Babel represents a dazzling logistical accomplishment. Though the language here does not lend itself to organizational detail, a strong central administration is suggested. Imagine hiring the prominent architect, engineer, and main contractor who harness these armies of brickmakers, bricklayers, and other skilled laborers in teams that apparently pull together aimlessly. It really would have made for a strong MBA case study, impressive for its clarity of vision, unity of purpose, and efficiency of its workforce. And so the people work to build a city that reaches to the heavens so they can stay together in one place. And God comes down and says, look how clever they think they are. They are one people and they have one language. Look how comfortable they must be with this whole setup. Let's go down and mess things up. And so, as verse 8 reads, the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth. They left off the building of the city. Therefore, it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. Now, I don't know about you, but I've always heard this text interpreted as God's curse on humanity. God comes down to punish the people for trying to make a name for themselves, and so God confuses all their languages and scatters them out all over the earth. But as Walter Brueggemann points out, the idea of scattering and spreading the people abroad, at least in this context, is not negative, nor is it concerned with punishment. In fact, it can be argued that in this context, the intent of God's creation from Genesis 1:28 for people to scatter and multiply finally comes to fulfillment. And if what happens at Babel 
isn't a punishment or a curse, but rather God's intention from the very beginning, that completely changes how we read this story, doesn't it? It shows us that diverse languages and cultures and races and ethnicities have been part of God's unfolding plan for us from the very beginning of creation. That there is an inherent value in diversity that God has desired for us all along. And that even when that gets messy or complicated or confusing, that diversity reflects something about God that we don't need to miss out on. And yet, just like the people at Babel, we so often try to resist the very diversity that God intends for us to experience. Psychologist Paul Ingram and Michael Morris wanted to do a research project about how we go about meeting new people. And so they planned a mixer in New York City and invited a wide range of people of all different professions to come. About 100 people showed up, and when they were interviewed beforehand, almost all of them emphasized that their purpose in coming was to meet new people, to build new relationships, to expand their social networks. And then what they did at the party was the exact opposite. Thanks to a digital tag that each attendee had been given to wear, the scientists could track everywhere they went, everyone they talked to during the party. And the tags revealed that when they arrived at the party, they were making a beeline for the people they knew already and then staying right by their side for the rest of the evening. When they did meet strangers, they did so because these strangers were friends of friends. And so as a result, their new acquaintances almost always tended to be from the same industry. Now, of course, it's human nature for us to want to spend time with our friends. But what was so surprising about this research is that people said they intended to do the exact opposite. Because even when we are intending to move toward diversity, more often than not, we will move toward comfort and familiarity instead. So another study looked at the way college students form relationships and friendships on small campuses when compared to a large university. Researchers went to different sized campuses and sought out pairs of students to ask them about their friendships. The University of Kansas offered a far greater range of views and lifestyles than smaller campuses, with 25,000 students to choose from. And so you would think that friendships at larger campuses would, by default, be more diverse. But they weren't. On the smaller campuses, people made friends with people who were very different from them because they were forced by their circumstances to befriend people who might be different than themselves. And they made those friendships work. The friendships at the smaller colleges were actually closer and they lasted longer than those at larger universities. On the largest campus, with so many different people to choose from, students were able to seek out their ideological twins. And the overwhelming result, when they were offered a wider choice of friends, was that students at larger schools almost always chose sameness. Now, before we begin to blame the college students in the room, the reality is that we are likely to do exactly the same no matter what age we are. The internet is filled with the diversity of news and opinions and perspectives, but as author and digital activist Eli Pariser says, we operate in a filter bubble that exists to give us more of what we already believe. Like the algorithms of Facebook are such that when we click on an article we like, we see more articles just like it or we follow the people with whom we agree, which connects us with more like-minded people. Pariser writes, when our stream of social media updates fits tidily into our preconceptions, we are hardly likely to mess it up by seeking out people who disagree. The pattern repeats itself endlessly. We gain new choices about who to listen to, who to trust, who to befriend, and we often use those choices to surround ourselves with people who are more and more like us. Before long, we build a network. 
Or you could even say that we build ourselves a tower of people who think and talk and act exactly like we do instead of doing the hard and messy work of scattering ourselves to different places. Friends, in far too many places and ways, you and I are building towers of Babel every single day, online, on campus, at school, in our communities, and yes, even in our churches, without even realizing it. It should be no surprise that even though God intended for the people to scatter about, they huddle together instead, because we do it all the time. Which is why it should be no surprise that when we jump ahead to Acts 2, right after Jesus' ascension to heaven, that the disciples are huddled together in the upper room. Verse 1 says that when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, just like we see at Babel. Some things don't change, do they? And so, once again, God intervenes and begins to mess things up because God never wants us to get too comfortable, never lets us stay cozy in one place with one people for too long. And so a rush of wind fills the house, tongues of fire sit on their heads. Suddenly, each of them begins speaking in their own native language. Everyone assumes they are drunk. Perhaps that's because it's the only way to make sense of such a confusing situation in their minds. But it's Peter who says, no, they're not drunk. All this messiness and craziness means that the Spirit of God is here. You see, from the very beginning of Genesis, God has been showing us that when life gets messy, the Spirit of God is near, hovering above the chaos of our lives. But the stories of Babel and Pentecost take that a step further and show us that God intentionally calls us into messy places, too. Places of rich diversity. Places that can be complex and confusing to navigate. Because something about these places reflects to us the beautiful diversity of God that we will completely miss out on if we stay in one place and with one people. The question is, will you and I be brave enough to follow when God calls us out? Will we be a people who are willing to scatter out to new people and new places, even when our instincts are to huddle together in our sameness? Will we be people who move toward diversity instead of comfort and familiarity? Because if we do, I think we discover that we are better together than any of us is apart. That God's Spirit shines brightly through difference and diversity, like different cuts of a diamond that reflect the beauty of the whole. And perhaps when we discover this, that's when we discover what unity, true unity in the kingdom of God is all about. Luke Powery, dean of Duke University Chapel, says it this way, he says, really, you can only have unity if the members of the church are diverse. Otherwise, all you have is uniformity. Uniformity means everyone looks the same, acts the same, thinks the same, and is the same kind of Baptist. But what uniformity really means is that we are just worshiping ourselves and not God whose beauty is embodied by multiplicity and diversity. Friends, just like the German forest were not created for uniformity, neither are we. And so may you and I be willing to follow God into messy spaces. And may we watch and wait with holy anticipation of what God might do next. And so God, I ask that we might have the courage to follow you into places that make us uncomfortable. That we might learn to see your face, your image, in people who are different than we are. God, I pray that you would call us out of our sameness and into your big and beautiful world. God, if we are here today and feel like our life is a complete mess, I pray that you would meet us here.
Help us to know that that is precisely when you show up best. Help us to know that your spirit is close with us in these moments. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Well, the truth is that we follow a God who entered into the messiness of this world to be with us. Jesus was never afraid of messy situations. He walked toward them instead of away from them. And when you and I feel like life might be getting too messy, too complicated, or too difficult for us to navigate, I believe that's exactly the moment when Jesus is walking toward us. And so maybe today he is asking you to take a step toward him. Maybe you want to take a step toward following Jesus today or to become part of our community of faith here at Calvary where we follow Jesus together in the best ways we know how. Maybe you want to pray with one of our ministers about a messy situation in your life. However you feel led to respond, our ministers will be in the back of the sanctuary ready to receive you and pray with you as we continue in worship. Come build a church with soul and spirit. Come build a church of flesh and bone. We need no tower rising skyward, no house of wood, nor glass or stone. Come build a church with human frailty. Come build a church of flesh and blood. Jesus shall be its sure foundation. He shall be built by the hand of God. Let us see the tongues of fire, let us hear the craven roar, let us know the awe and wonder that we only glimpsed before. Let us feel the strength of passion which can make us laugh and weep. Let us know this great awakening for so long we've been asleep. Church with soul and spirit, come build a church of flesh and bone. We need no tower rising skyward, no house of wood or glass or stone. Come build a church with human frailty, come build a church of flesh and blood. Jesus will be his sure foundation, it shall be built by the hand of God. Let us know the love of season, which alone can lose the bounds. Reaching out across the chasms, bringing walls of hatred down. Let us taste the sweet communion, where the circle never ends. Let us in the sweet connection, turning strangers into friends. Come build a church with soul and spirit. Come build a church of flesh and bone. We need a tower rising skyward. No house of wood or glass or stone. Come build a church with human frailty. Come build a church of flesh and blood. Jesus shall be his sure foundation. It shall be built by the hand of God. Our feet in peaceful pathways, teach us peace of hearts and minds. Peace with God and all God's children, till we leave our wars behind. Surely joy will come and find us, like a breeze that cools the night. Like the rain upon the desert, like a candle's gentle light. Come build a church with soul and spirit. Come build a church of flesh and bone. We need no tower rising skyward, no house of wood or glass or stone. Come build a church with human frailty. Come build a church of flesh and blood. Jesus shall be its sure foundation. He 
it shall be built by the hands of God. It shall be built by the hands of God. Dear God, our Heavenly Father, we know you're present with us this morning. But in our crazy, messed-up world outside these walls, sometimes, Lord, we just forget. Help remind us in different ways that you are always present in our lives. Thank you for always being our comforter. Give us peace in our time of offering this morning. Help us to not just go through the motions of monetary giving as part of a checklist, but to truly reflect on all that you have given us so that we can gratefully give ourselves and possessions to you today and every day. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen.
Virginia for Carlisle to start as a student at Truett Seminary. Um, Ethan works in IT and is actually looking for a job. If anyone has any connections with IT work here in Waco, Carlisle feels called to youth ministry and is excited to, to learn more about that and to be formed in that as she grows in her calling. And they are actually expecting a baby boy on December 28th. And so we look forward to having a parent-child dedication with you all um, early in the spring. Um, Carlisle and Ethan moved here from a church where they were deeply involved for 10 years, where both of their families were, and so they are really looking forward um, to jumping into the life of the Calvary family and to this community becoming the family of God for them in this place. We are excited to welcome you to Calvary and have some words that we would like to share with you today. In response, in response to your decision, we pledge ourselves to be the family of God for you in this place. We offer you our love, our care, our kinship, and our hopes. We hope to learn from you, give to you, and receive from you by God's grace. I'm going to invite you all to have a seat for just a moment, and then we'll walk out together during the benediction. And I hope you will take time to meet them as you leave today. And Tiffany Rose, could you, would you be willing to walk out with us and introduce people to them in the Welcome Center? Wonderful. Thanks so much to Heather Nessler for helping us to begin to see how beauty can come from even the messiest of places. And we are excited to see how this continues to weave together, no pun intended, in the coming weeks. So, yeah, that was really cheesy, I'm sorry. <laughs> As we walked around the sanctuary this morning with Meryl and Atlas, I bet you were thinking to yourself how much fun it would be to hold them during worship one week. Were you not thinking that? <laughs> so today we want to encourage you to be a part of that. Um, Jenny and Gabby have shared with me recently that we have 19 faithful volunteers who help with our extended care during worship which means these people are serving once every five to six weeks. And so it's becoming a lot for this group of people to manage. And our big dream for this ministry is to have many more people involved so that everyone serves once a quarter. But in order for that to happen, we need 40 more people involved in extended care. And so that means we need people of all ages, all stages of life, that we mean men and women and everyone involved in this important ministry. As you leave today, there will be signups in the Welcome Center. You can ask Jenny and Gabby for more information. And so we hope that you might consider giving one Sunday a quarter to love and care for Calvary's children. Also, we're starting a new tradition at Calvary this fall called First Wednesdays that we're pretty excited about. Downtown Waco has First Fridays, and we're going to have First Wednesdays. And so the First Wednesday food truck this week is going to be Waffle Chick, a new upcoming food truck in town. They'll have chicken and waffles in the Fellowship Hall on Wednesday nights. $5 per person and no more than 20 per family, starting at 5 o'clock until we run out. And then on our first Wednesday, we are bringing back our student preaching series, and we will hear a sermon this week by Janice Gortonson. And so we hope you'll come and hear her and support her on Wednesday at 6 in the chapel. And then lastly, we are going to have a work day here on Saturday morning. Our building is used in so many ways throughout the week, and it is used well. Um, but because of that, it is long overdue, some TLC. Um, Glenn is doing an absolutely incredible job managing our building each week, but there are so many different jobs that we can really pitch in to help him with. We'll have breakfast tacos and coffee at 8.30 and begin our work together at 9. We hope you'll sign up for that as well. We'll have projects for all ages and all abilities. 
Well, please stand and join me in this benediction. Friends, may the God who calls you from this place journey with you as you go. May God delight in you with joy, bringing unimagined graces. Walk with you in darkness, shining lights along your way. May God be close to you in pain, giving strength for every moment. And comfort you in fear, granting courage to be brave. May God's love surround you. May Christ's mercy astound you. And may the Spirit abound in you, so that you live in the fullness of the God who is with us always. Amen. in the arms that will hold you. Glow in peace, live in grace, trust God's love. Take bread for the journey and strength for the fight. Comfort to sleep through the night. Wisdom to choose at the fork in the road and a heart that knows the way home. Go now in peace. Amen.